All right. Well, good morning, church. If you've got your Bibles, go ahead and open up to the book of Jonah. Jonah chapter 1. And as you guys are turning there, um, let's see by a show of hands, uh, how, how many of you are heavy sleepers? Heavy sleepers. Who are the heavy sleepers in the room? Go ahead. You can be, this is, this is a good thing for right now, all right? Heavy sleepers, like, I mean, it takes a lot to, to wake you up. Someone has to be shaking you to wake you up. Uh, a semi could run into your house and you wouldn't know, uh, all right? Who, like the heavy, heavy sleepers. Anyone? Anyone? Yeah. Okay. All right. We've got some. All right. Um, and the preschoolers are already gone. So Brit's, Brit's gone. Okay. Isn't that a blessing sometimes to be a heavy sleeper? I mean, that is such a, a good uh, God's grace to us at times to be able to sleep through a lot of things. I've found uh, at times, especially with young kids, it's been just really awesome to be able to be a heavy sleeper. Uh, in, in fact, when I was a child, my parents tell a story about there being a tornado warning going on and uh, the whole family having to go downstairs to a, to a bathroom that would be the safest room in the house. And they picked me up from my bed and took me down to the to the downstairs bathroom. And they stayed there for a while until the tornado had passed. Uh, And then everyone else went back to bed. Uh, But I was sleeping so soundly, they decided to just leave me on the floor of the bathroom in uh, the downstairs of our house. Well, the next morning, then I wake up and I'm very confused as to what, what has just happened, right? And so uh, I go to my parents with the best explanation I could think of, and that was mom and dad, I think I fell out of bed. Like, I think I fell out of bed. That was a thing, right? Most of us, if you grew up uh, when I did, right, you fell out of bed a lot. We didn't have these fancy, like, side bed rails that kids have now, right? We didn't have the technology. We were, we were used to just falling out of bed, suffering minor head injuries, and then, uh, then kind of getting back into it. And so my best explanation was that I had fallen out of bed with such velocity that I had rolled down the stairs through the hallway and ended up in a, on a bathroom uh, floor, all right? So that was how heavy I can sleep at times. Now, the reason that I bring that up this morning is because while it might be a blessing for us at times to be heavy sleepers and sleep through some things, um, it can also be a problem for us. It can be a problem when the, the smoke alarm is going off because there's a fire in the house. Uh, There can be a problem if a tornado warning is going on and we don't hear it. And unfortunately, it is also a problem for us because many Christians, we can be heavy spiritual sleepers as well. Many Christians, we can at times find ourselves in a spiritual slumber where we are unaware of the work that God is doing around us where we are asleep to the fact of how he might be leading and guiding us, where we are oblivious to the grace that is being persistently poured out on us and to the people around us. And it's all because we've kind of fallen into this spiritual slumber. And many Christians are sadly heavy sleepers. Heavy sleepers. But what we will see this morning is that even though at times we might be heavy sleepers, God graciously sends some things our way to wake us up. 
And so my prayer for all of us heavy sleepers in the room this morning is that we would see God's grace to us as we look through this story of Jonah in Jonah chapter 1, and that we might be grateful for all the ways and the things that God uses to wake us up from our sleep. This morning, we are going to pick it up in verse 4, where we are finding here Jonah, right, who is running from obedience and service to God, and we will find him sleeping heavily on a boat that is about to capsize. You see, runners, like we described Jonah last week, runners are oftentimes heavy sleepers, unaware of the work that God is doing around us blind to how God is leading and guiding, and naive to the grace that God is showing us and those around us. But God is so gracious to Jonah that he doesn't allow him to stay asleep. And my prayer is that the same would be said of us this morning, that the Lord and his grace would wake us up from a deep sleep. So let's pray. Let's ask the Lord to do what only he can do. Father, this is your word. And we need, Lord, your word. We need you and your spirit to awaken us. God, shake us out of our slumber that we have been in. Refresh us, revive us, make us open our eyes to to be able to see your glory and your grace and how you moved and worked in the story of Jonah and how you are moving and working in our lives as well. Lord, may you be glorified as we preach your word and as we hear it and receive it. And Lord, would you do a great work, a work that no one in here could have even planned or orchestrated Lord, may your spirit work as we glorify Christ and proclaim your word. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Jonah 1, verse 4. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. All right, what we need to first notice here is the grace of God to send the storm. Notice the grace of God to send the storm. Because you remember as Joshua reminded us in verse 3, Jonah had decided to flee from God. He had decided to run from God's will. God wanted him to go preach to the Ninevites and to be an instrument of grace to them, and Jonah wanted none of that. He didn't want to go. Those were his enemies. He didn't want God to be gracious to them. He thought he knew better than God. And so verse 3 says he gets up and runs. And if God was a human, like like you and me, we would expect God to say in verse 4, after Jonah has run, we would expect him to say, well, forget him. I mean, that's what we should expect to see in verse 4, right? If God was like a, a human, right? We would expect to see Jonah run and then him say, I'll find someone else. All right, Jonah had his chance to be a part of my plan. Surely there's someone else more righteous and more obedient and more in line with my heart. Like, surely I can find someone else to send to Nineveh. That's what we would expect to see in verse 4, if not for the grace of God. That's what we would have done. But aren't we glad that God is not like us? (laughs) 
God is not like us. God does not give up on Jonah. God has even more grace to show him. And so he sends this storm, not as a punishment for Jonah. That would be a wrong view of what this storm is. It's not a punishment. This storm should be viewed as God's grace to Jonah. God is going to make sure that Jonah never gets to where he is trying to go. And he's going to use the storm to wake Jonah up to some things as well. We have to see that this storm is not a coincidence. It, it, this storm, it, it didn't just so happen that this storm arose. No, God's word has made it very clear. The Lord hurled the wind. There is no question here as, as to who is in control, right? God sent the storm. No one rightly reads the story of Jonah and comes away questioning or confused as to who is in control here, all right? It is the Lord that hurls the storm at Jonah, not as punishment, but as an act of grace. He's sending the storm to save Jonah from Jonah, to keep Jonah from getting to where he in his sin is trying to go. Charles Spurgeon, he, he once said this, we'll have it up on the screen. He said, God never allows his children to sin successfully. <laughs> I, I have found this to be true, and it, is a, it has been a grace of God in my life, all right? I am a horrible liar, all right? I've never gotten away with that, right? Like, I try to lie. You can totally tell I'm lying, right? I usually get caught immediately, and if I don't get caught immediately, the Lord has used the, uh, the conscience he's given me and the Holy Spirit inside of me to just make me miserable until I turn from the sin that I am trying to pursue. And it has been at times, man, I've just been so angered and frustrated by that. I've never bought a ticket to Tarshish and successfully made it there. And God in his grace has not allowed us to get there where we think the sin is going to take us, God gets in the way and does not let us get there. And it's God's grace. God sends the storm. And this storm, while it is painful in the moment for Jonah and all his, his, uh, the other guys on the boat, in the end, this is the Lord being gracious to Jonah and to the sailors. And haven't we, haven't we seen this in our own lives? God at times has hurled a storm at us. We've been hit by a, a painful wind. And in the moment, it felt like punishment. It felt like torture. It felt like, God, how could you? But then looking back, we can start to see how it was God's grace. He was saving us from us. He was waking us up to who he is and who we are. He was waking us up to his heart towards those around us. And hasn't even this past year felt a bit like a storm or the past 18 months or two years or whatever we want to say this has been. But church, take heart. God is being gracious to us by sending us a storm. He's waking us up. He's saving us from us. He's showing us who he is. He's revealing to us our hearts. He's showing us his heart for people in the world. 
And this year, we've, we've gone on a few trips as a family. We've done a few, a few car trips this year. And it seems like inevitably, no matter how clear the forecast looks, no matter how sunny it is when we pull out of the driveway, when we get on the highway, a torrential downpour has started. And, uh, and don't get me, I, I love long car rides, but when, when it's raining so hard that it's difficult to even see the next car in front of you, uh, it's just really not that fun, Right? You totally second guess even, why do we ever even leave the house? It just keeps raining this hard, like what's happening? And what I learned through driving in a storm, I think could be very helpful for us as we try to figure out how God works through the storm. You see, usually before the storm starts, I usually have the van on cruise control, just coasting. Spacing out a little bit, you know, I, sometimes you, if the boys ask what state we're in, I don't know, you know, we're not, we're, we're somewhere, Kentucky, Tennessee, I don't know where we're at, right? You just got it in cruise control, you're cruising, but then the storm comes, and now you're engaged. Now you're like, okay, I got to be focused and see, and be, be present here in the moment, what is happening? And so the first thing that happens when a storm comes and you're driving is you take the car off of cruise control and you slow down and you're engaged. The second thing I would do is I would make sure that our lights were on, right? Sometimes don't have the lights during the day, but it gets dark and overcast. Storm comes, lights go on, maybe even put on some flashers, right? So that people behind you and in front of you can see where you're at. They can see the light that should be coming from your car. The third thing I would do is, is quiet down all the other noise, right? I would lovingly and graciously and kindly tell the boys if they could just lower the volume a little bit. Or I would not do that, and then I would apologize for asking in a different way later on. But I would quiet down all the noise. All I wanted to hear was Britt's voice. I just wanted to hear her tell me, hey, what? they're breaking up there, uh, or, or she'll give me weather alerts, you know. Only one more hour of, of bad downpour, and then we're out of it, you know. All I wanted to hear was her voice in that moment. In that moment, I'd gri- grip the wheel a little tighter with both hands. In that moment, I would realize just how fragile our lives really are, Right? You realize in that moment how interconnected your life is with all the people that are driving around you? I mean, not only do I have to be focused on what I'm doing, but if the person next to me, if, if they slip up or do something, like that could greatly affect my life. And church, this is oftentimes how God graciously works when he sends storms into our lives. You can't be a cruise control Christian in a storm. When the storm hits, those days are over. And that's not God punishing us. I think that's God's grace to us. It's when a storm hits that we have to slow down. We have to slow down the pace of our lives and really engage and really figure out what's, what's important here. It's when a storm hits that we have to remind ourselves that we are to be shining the light of Christ. We've got to get our lights on here. It's when a storm hits that we remind ourselves to to quiet down all the other voices and things that we're letting into our life and only let God's word be the one that's directing us. It's when a storm hits that we grip tighter to Christ, living each day with the realization that he holds every minute of our lives in in his hands. It's when a storm hits that we are awakened to all the well-being of those around us. Church, God is gracious 
to send us some storms. And so God sends the storm. Jonah is sleeping. He doesn't care about the well-being of the Ninevites. He doesn't care about the well-being of the sailors. But God's about to wake him up. He hurls a storm at him. But then notice this. Is, is the sending of the storm, we just heard Janie read the passage, is the sending of the storm the only way we see that God is waking Jonah up? No, he's going to send some other people to wake him up as well. Look at verse 5. Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God, right? This is human nature. They are afraid. They start calling out to whoever it is they trust in, right? They start doing everything they know to do, and they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had lain down and was fast asleep. He was fast asleep. Now, this is some heavy, heavy heavy sleep. He's sleeping through a storm that is so great, the sailors are fearing for their lives. All right? If you're ever on a boat and a storm comes and some of the tourists are like a little nervous or whatever, if the crew is all still calm, you're probably fine. (laughs) If you're on a boat and a storm comes and the crew is freaking out and calling out to their gods... This is a legit storm, okay? This is, a, this is a great storm. Sailors had never seen anything like this. They know this is not good. Jonah is in a heavy, heavy, heavy sleep. And there's only one time in my life where I've slept this heavy. And that is when I've been in such deep despair that I have become indifferent to life itself. And many of, you know what I'm, many of you know what I'm talking about. You've had that deep sleep, that deep despair where you are legitimately sure that if you ever can or would ever want to get out of bed, you just can't do it. You've despaired so much that you've become indifferent. And that's where I believe Jonah is right now as he sleeps through the storm. It is this deep despair and misery that he has sunken into because he knows he's running from God. And this despair has turned into an indifference with life itself. This is not just a flippant, like, who cares? This is a deep despair that has led to indifference. But God is is gracious to Jonah here. God sends someone to wake Jonah up. And this man comes on God's behalf. It's, it be, it's not another prophet that comes to wake Jonah up. It's not another worshiper of Yahweh that comes to wake him up. No, it is a pagan sailor. The captain of the ship comes into the room. Verse 6 says, So the captain came and said to him, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. Now what's, now what's interesting here is that these are some of the same words that God spoke to Jonah in verse 1. I know that was last week. But the author of Jonah is trying to help the reader see that this, this similar choice of words is just what God had used in verse 1. God in verse 1 had said, Arise, go to Nineveh, and call out against it. 
God is now using this captain to say, uh, to say, arise, call out to God. Right? We should see the, the parallels here. God is, God is the ultimate one waking Jonah up, but he's using this pagan sailor to come and to wake him up. You see, sometimes God extends his persistent grace to us by sending unbelievers to wake us up. You see, when we as believers see unbelievers being afraid and anxious and calling out to all their gods or idols for help, that should be our cue. Not to join with them in their fear and idolatry, not to hate them for their fear and idolatry, but to wake up and call out to the one true God and make him known. When we find ourselves surrounded by people who are calling out to other lowercase g gods, that is God using the world to rebuke the church. We see it, and we think that's our cue to start rebuking the world, right? Like, oh, it's rebuke time now, right? Let's, let's get them. Not realizing that God is actually using them to rebuke us. God's like, wake up, sleeper. Who put you on the boat? Cry out to me. Make me known. Jonah, I know that you know I'm a gracious God and merciful and slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. I know you know that. That's why you don't want to go to Nineveh. But do the sailors know that? And how quick we are to join with the fear and anxiety of those who don't know God. I mean, we've been in conversations with people in the, in the last 18 months. The Lord, what has he been doing in the storm? He's been exposing all the lowercase g gods and idols that people are calling out to. He's showing just how weak they actually are, whether it's been the God of health or wealth or political power or job security. And we see this and we, come, we join conversations and we just join in with them as if, yeah, man, this storm's crazy. Who knows who's in control of it? Who knows when it's going to end? I guess we just throw some stuff overboard, row harder, and hope for the best. Guess that's all we can do. Church, even unbelieving sailors know when it's time to call out to a deity. (laughs) The world is calling out to their gods right now. And we are so pessimistic and have such little faith and we've despaired so much over, over the people around us that we've become indifferent. And, uh, so much so that we've slipped into this spiritual slumber of indifference. The world is crying out for Jesus. They just don't know his name. Have we not seen the world crying out for health? But who is there to tell them that by the wounds of Jesus alone we are ultimately healed? Have we not seen the world crying out for wealth and prosperity and economic stability? But who is there to tell them of the abundance of riches that are found in Christ? Have we not seen the world crying out with a desire to remake themselves, to re-identify themselves, to reimagine themselves? 
But who is there to tell them that that desire to be born again can only truly happen through faith in Christ? Have we not seen the world crying out for peace, but no one has told them the Prince of Peace's name? Have we not seen the world crying out for a world that will never wear out, a source of energy that will never run out, a leader that will never burn out? They've been crying out for an eternal kingdom, but who will tell them the eternal king's name? Church, when believers are crying out to their gods and idols, this is our wake-up call. Not to join with them, and not to even rebuke them. The rebuke is for us. They are calling out to these idols and gods because we have not proclaimed Christ as king. We have taken the truth that Jesus is Lord, and we've taken that below deck, and we've gone to sleep. The wake-up call is for us. The rebuke is for us. And the prophet Isaiah, he gives a similar rebuke when he prophesies about the future glory of God's people, which in Christ we are a part of. The prophet Isaiah in chapter 60 says, Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. For behold, darkness shall cover the earth, and thick darkness the peoples, but the Lord will arise upon you, and his glory will be seen upon you, and nations shall come to your light, and kings to the brightness of your rising. Arise, church. Shine, for your light, the light of the world, has come. The sun has risen and will continue to rise. The nations will come to the light. And so if you find yourself despairing over the condition of the world, over the condition of our country, or your family, or the people around you and your spheres of influence, and you've despaired so much that you've become now indifferent about it all, and you've fallen asleep. May you hear this rebuke from God through the captain of this ship. What do you mean, sleeper? Arise! Call out to your God! Make him known! Declare his, his glory amongst the people! Your faith and the grace that you have received from God is not just for you! Don't take it below deck and go to sleep. Now the rest of the sailors, they're still trying to figure out what's going on, right? They've witnessed enough storms to know that something supernatural is happening here. So they cast lots, sort of an, an ancient world way of rolling dice to try to figure out whose fault this is. Because there is something in the heart of human beings that desires a scapegoat. We see this in politics. We see this in business. We see this with our kids, right? Something breaks. There's a little conversation. Hey, only one of us has to take the fall for this, all right? No reason all of us have to be disciplined, right? 
Let, let's, let's find a scapegoat, right? So they're, they're trying to figure out, okay, surely this is some one person's problem. Let's figure out who this scapegoat is. We don't have to all get punished for this. Verse 7. And they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots, that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. And we're like, yeah, we saw that coming, right? Of course, it falls on Jonah. But notice the graciousness and the humanity of these sailors. Because sometimes we forget that all human beings are created in the image of God, right? They don't kill him right away. Which I would suspect, right? Unbelieving sailors, they're trying to figure out anything. Hey, Lot fell on Jonah. Let's kill him and see if that helps. No, they're much more gracious than Jonah is. They don't kill him right away. They ask questions. Questions that are really getting at the heart of who Jonah is. His identity. Getting at who, who is this guy? They want to know. They want to know who he is. Verse 8. Then they said to him, Tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation? Where do you come from? What is your country? Of what people are you? Just start drilling them with questions. All trying to get at who he is. Verse 9. And he said to them, I am a Hebrew. And I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Now notice the, the hypocrisy a little bit, right? He's, he's proclaiming with his mouth that he fears the Lord. His actions do not seem to be lining up with that. Notice also the irony here. Jonah was running away from God because he didn't want to preach to people outside of his tribe. But now here he is preaching to people outside of his tribe. He's learning what Job learned in Job 42, verse 2, when he says, I know that you can do all things, and no purpose of yours can be thwarted. If it is God's will for Jonah to preach to pagans, Jonah is going to preach to pagans. Verse 10. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, What is this you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. Then they said to him, What shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more tempestuous, right? Now, now here's where if Jonah was fully repentant and fully ready to start obeying God, here's where you would expect him to say, Turn the boat around. Let's go back to Joppa so that I can go preach to Nineveh. You guys can come with me if you want. We, we don't see him say, turn the boat around. He's not ready yet to obey God and go to Nineveh. He's not there. He would still rather die than obey God's will and see God's grace come to his enemies. But we do see some progress in Jonah here. We do see some growth, some maturity, some softening of his heart. He's, God has woken him up enough to see that even though he's despairing and ready to die, he doesn't want to have the sailors have to die along with him. And so he says in verse 12, he said, said to them, Pick me up, hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you, for I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to dry land, but they could not, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Therefore they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life, and lay not on us innocent blood. For you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. 
So they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. So yes, the Lord wakes us up by sending storms. Yes, the Lord wakes us up by sending us sailors who rebuke us for keeping our faith private and not calling out to God and making him known. But God has ultimately woken us up by sending us the Son, Jesus Christ, who revealed to us the very heart of God in, in substituting himself for us up on the cross and enduring the wrath of God that our sins and our heavy sleeping rightfully deserved. You see, this was what awoke the sailors to the glory of God. They got a glimpse of the sacrificial love of God through what Jonah's actions were pointing to. Jonah here was willing to be the scapegoat. Jonah was willing to give his life so that the boat and all who were in it would be saved. And the men, upon seeing this, and upon seeing the wind and the waves that immediately calmed down, they started then worshiping the one true God, Yahweh, for the very first time in their lives. They no longer feared the storm. They no longer feared even the words Jonah spoke. But now we see these sailors, they feared Yahweh. And church, how foolish we are to despair when we have a God who loves us and is so persistently gracious to us, a God who is the creator and sustainer of all things, who could have written us off when we rebelled from him, who could have given up on us as we've continued to run from him who could have left us in our slumber as we despaired and became indifferent of life itself. But the eternal Son of God, Jesus Christ, entered into his creation and became the scapegoat for our sins. And unlike Jonah, he did not in his despair allow himself to be thrown into the sea. No, Jesus gloriously, for the joy that was set before him, allowed himself to be thrown into the holy and righteous wrath of the Father so that the only storm that could harm us would be calmed. And so that we might be safe. Jonah is becoming like Jesus in this moment. He's willing to offer up his life to save the sailors. But as we will see, God still has a lot of work to do on his heart. And the same is true of us, church. Yes, God has revealed himself to us by sending us his son, and this has brought us from death to life. But God still has a lot of work to do on our hearts to make us more like him. You see, I do believe that God is waking up the church in this storm. I do. But here's what I fear. I fear that we are waking up angry. <laughs> Like, I don't know about you, I am a little grumpy when I wake up from a deep sleep. 
And Christians are st- they're, they're, they're waking up a bit, but they're waking up angry. They're maybe waking up to the realization that we live amongst the people who are calling out to gods and idols instead of Jesus. But because we are allowing other voices into our hearts and minds besides God's word, we are allowing a sinful anger to be lodged into our hearts. And we will never engage in missions wisely or to the glory of God if we are being fueled by an anger. Now, those who don't know Jesus, they don't know any other way to motivate people besides fueling and anger. But we should be different. And God's word warns us of this. In Ecclesiastes 7, verse 9, it says, Be not quick in your spirit to become angry, for anger lodges in the heart of fools. Jonah had an anger and a hatred lodged in his heart towards his enemies. He was more willing to just die than to see God's grace come to them. And God had to do some work on him to prepare him to preach to his enemies. And God's got some work to do on our hearts as well before we are ready to preach and proclaim Christ to our perceived enemies. Uh, when, I, when I first started waking up to the call that I believe the Lord was putting on my life to, to, to preach God's word to God's people, to feed the sheep, to care for the church, right? I was still in college when this was starting, and I honestly wanted to go do this because I was angry and annoyed with God's people, And I wanted to go preach to shake things up and to yell at people and to just kind of vent at them and show them as to how church was supposed to be done. And thankfully, people encouraged me to slow down. This might be a calling on your life, but let's give it some years. And if I had answered that call and, and gone out and, and, and sought after church ministry or preaching God's word to God's people, motivated by an anger towards those I was called to serve, it would not have been good for me, it would not have been good for them, and it would not have been putting the glory of Christ on display. And now listen, this is true of any mission field that God has called you to. And I believe he's called all of us to some mission field of, of one sort of the other, Okay. So, for example, if you are called to be a missionary to Uganda, and I ask you why you want to go to Uganda, and you say, because I'm angry with the people of Uganda that they don't worship Jesus, and I hate them. My counsel to you, as well as I would probably make a few other calls, so like, hey, let's keep this person out of Uganda, all right? They've got no business going there. I know they know the truth. They know the gospel. They can say it all. They've got no business going to Uganda with a heart like that. This is true of any mission field. So what's happening right now is a lot of Christians are being woken up from their cruise control Christianity, and they now want to bring their private faith back into the public square. They are wanting to engage in politics and education and health care and social issues. And listen, I say yes and amen to all of that. Love it. 
But this is, the, this is the caution, right? This is the pastoral care and caution and warning. The question is, when are you ready to engage in a way that points people to Jesus and helps them see that our God, like Jonah knew in Jonah 4.2, that our God is a gracious God who is merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. When are you then ready to engage in that mission field? And I think we can learn from Jonah's story. I think we can learn from Jonah's story. And so if you hear nothing else, the rest of this Jonah series, if you haven't been listening this whole time, please listen to this, all right? Because I believe that God is truly calling and equipping us to various mission fields, right? Domestic and international, different spheres of influence, different ways that we are to go to be the light of the world. And yet, as I'm, as I'm praying about this and, and, and praying for you guys to be equipped and sent and out into the mission field, my heart was heavy for us. Because I, there was this looming question of God, when are, when are our hearts ready to go? When is that person called to Uganda ready to go? What is the right posture of our hearts so that we will be a blessing to the city and the world and not a clanging cymbal or gong in their ears? And as I read and as I prayed through Jonah, I feel like God's, God's laying it out. God's laying it out. And what God is teaching us through Jonah is that Jonah had a heart that wanted to break his enemies. God wanted him to have a heart that was broken for his enemies. Jonah had a heart that wanted to break his enemies. God wanted him to have a heart that was broken for his enemies. That's when you know you're ready. That's when you know you're ready to step into whatever mission field God has called you to. That's when you know you are ready to, to, to put your, uh, bring out your faith into the public square, to be a blessing to others. It's when you are no longer controlled and motivated by anger. This anger isn't just lodged in your heart. But instead, the love of Christ is captivating and controlling you. It's when you no longer desire to break your enemies, but instead your heart is broken for your enemies and you're ready to go sacrifice everything for them. You're ready to allow yourself to be thrown into the sea for them. You're ready to demonstrate the substitutional and sacrificial love of Christ to them. If you have not wept for and prayed for the people on the other side of the political aisle, you are not ready to engage in politics as a follower of Christ. You're not ready. I'm not saying you can't. You're not ready, though. If you have not wept for and prayed for the church, you are not ready to be a pastor. Please do not go try to be a pastor and preach the word. You will be ready to preach when your heart is no longer angry with God's people, but your heart is broken for God's people. And you're ready to lay yourself down for God's people. You'll be best at showing and, and doing this in a wise way, showing Christian hospitality when your heart hurts for your neighbors. You'll be ready to take the gospel to the nations, not when you are despairing or angry about this nation, but when your heart breaks for all people who have not heard the gospel or been discipled or taught all that Jesus has commanded. And so church, I want us to join with God on his mission in the world. 
But we must do this with hearts that are looking more and more like the heart of our Father. This morning, something cool kind of happened in our house. Uh, Joel, our youngest, three-year-old Joel, uh, he's been asking all summer to wear a long-sleeve button-up to church, right? He likes to, likes to look sharp. Uh, and so all summer, it's hot, humid. Britt's like, no, you can't wear that shirt. Uh, we don't know exactly what happens after our worship gathering, but our kids get very sweaty here. I don't know, you know, well, I don't know what the older kids are in charge of, but just there's a lot of sweat that happens. And so a long sleeve button up just doesn't seem like the right thing for him. And so Britt all summer's like, no, you can't wear that. No, you can't wear that. No, you can't wear that. No, that's not going to be good. This morning, he asks, can I wear that? And she's like, yeah, actually. Today would be a great day to wear that. He puts the shirt on. You know what he says after he puts the shirt on? He says, now I look like daddy. (laughs) I shouldn't have even tried. I shouldn't have even tried. Now I look like... So we will let him wear that shirt whenever he wants, right? (laughs) Church, this morning we're going to have a little bit of an extended prayer time because we need to persistently plead with God to give us hearts like our fathers. We want to equip you and get you ready to be sent out to join with God on the mission in this world, but we want you dressed and looking like your Father, who is a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, relenting from disaster. And so as we go, we want people to get a glimpse of Christ when they see us. Church, may God, by his grace, wake us up from our slumber. If you've been in cruise control Christianity mode, it's time to repent of that and get engaged. May God free us from our anger. Some of us have an anger that's it's lodged. We're trying to let the light shine, but we've got this lodged anger that's just distorting and messing everything up. And may God break our hearts for those we perceive to be our enemies. And may we see the storm as God's grace and shine our lights brighter. Let us hear the cries for a Savior and let us make his name known. For he is persistently gracious. He is merciful. He is slow to anger. He is abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. So wake up, O sleeper, and call out to your God. Let's pray.